Funding for Smart Talk is provided by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. Serving the community for over 75 years, Capital Blue Cross is behind you for whatever lies ahead. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health, committed to research that improves health, reduces recovery times, and brings new treatments and therapies to our area before they are available elsewhere. More information is at pinnaclehealth.org. Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. No tax is popular, but there are some taxes that are disliked more than others. If there was a poll of Pennsylvanians, the property tax would probably come out on the bottom, especially if homeowners were doing most of the voting. If property taxes are so despised, then why are they still around? Mostly because the $13 billion Pennsylvania schools take in from property taxes would have to be made up in some way. There would be winners and losers. Property tax reform has gained some momentum over the past few years, and there's a new bill that would eliminate all property taxes. Joining us on the phone to talk about property taxes, a good overview uh, he provided last week on uh, WITF and WHYY in Philadelphia. Kevin McCory, Keystone Crossroads reporter stationed at WHYY in Philadelphia. Kevin, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Scott. And this is an issue I know that... Uh, uh, many people in our audience, it's kind of a near and dear issue when I say near and dear, not that you like it, but uh, that there are opinions on it. We'd like to hear your opinions. Uh, what do you think about property taxes? Best way to replace them? Or are you just uh, satisfied with what we have now and you just grin and bear it? Give us a call. 1-800-729-7532 is the number to call. Or send an email to smarttalk at org. Kevin, I'm going to kind of follow up on that introduction by, you know, saying that uh, for the most of the last 30 years, you know, I've heard homeowners saying they need property tax relief. Every candidate for the state legislature that I have heard over the last 30 years say, oh, we're going to do something about property taxes. But here we are in 2017 and schools still rely on property taxes for their revenue. Why? Well, it is a, an extremely stable um, revenue stream from the point of view of school districts. Uh, you know, they know what they're going to get every single year. They can reassess property every, you know, w- when they deem it necessary and continue to draw down that revenue. And, you know, you can see that, uh, you know, for districts that are doing well, who have a lot of property wealth in their district, they, they might really enjoy the property tax because it allows them to raise the money that they want for their schools without having to uh, rely on state government to make that decision, right? If you move away from a, from a uh, property tax system, you put more power in the hands of um, a, a state government, right? If the money is raised through uh, sales tax or income tax, then the money is being funneled through Harrisburg. So a reason that some people would enjoy a property tax over others is you have more, in theory, local control over how that how that money is spent and how that money is raised, but at the same time, and we're going to drill down on all the things you just mentioned uh, in in specifics. But with all that said, you know, as I mentioned in the introduction, this tax is so unpopular. You would think that by now there would be some kind of reform or some kind of relief. Well, there has been uh, relief efforts over the years. Uh, I think proponents of el- this elimination effort would say they haven't gone far enough. But you did have uh, in the mid two thousands. Uh, Governor Ed Rendell and the legislature passed um, an Act One reform, which basically took revenue from casinos, from slots, and um, gave some property tax relief to homeowners. And also said that, you know, with that relief, we're capping you on what you can raise. There were some key exemptions on that. So, uh, you know, in theory, you have to go to voters to get a property tax increase above a certain inflationary rate, but. If that cost is being driven by, say, pension increases, then you can, you know, uh, work around that voter referendum. And that's exactly what's happened over the past decade or so. So that's why people say that relief really didn't go that far, because then all of a sudden you have pension costs skyrocketing and districts have to raise taxes every year. At least many of them had have had to to make up for uh, that that big part of their school district budget that grows each and every year. This uh, you know, uh, public employee teacher pension system. 
You know, and I think another factor, Kevin, uh, with the Riddell plan, uh, yes, uh, the, the governor campaigned for slot machine, uh, that the profits would uh, go to property tax relief, and also at the time, if you remember, uh, to help with Pennsylvania's horse racing industry. It's kind of funny that uh, right after uh, the legislature was passed, didn't hear a whole lot about uh, helping Pennsylvania's horse racing industry, but something else that occurred at that time was that there wasn't a check sent from Harrisburg or from the local school district that, you know, the the money went to the district, but the taxpayers didn't see it in front of their eyes. I mean, if they look closely on their property tax bills, they would see, here's how much money is saved. But I think that was a factor, too, that people just didn't realize that they may have been paying more without the, those profits from uh, from slot machines. That's, that's true. And, it, it, you know, you talked at the top of the show about how unpopular the taxes. I think that part of it is a perception issue, right? Um, sales tax, you know, we go to the store, we buy things. We don't know in total at the end of the year how much we contributed in sales tax. Most of us don't, at least. I certainly don't. Uh, income tax, you know, if you go through your, your W-2s and, and, you know, you study up on it, of course, you can uh, estimate how much you're paying to the state. Property taxes, especially for uh, you know, a homeowner maybe who's already paid off their mortgage, they get that bill in the mail. It's black and white. They know exactly what they're paying. And I think that's part of the thing that uh, makes the tax so unpopular because it's so tangible. Yeah, I think you're right. And you did mention, you touched on uh, Governor Casey, and this was in 1987, where Governor Casey campaigned for uh, a proposal that would provide some property tax relief and initially, it was seen as very popular that, oh, this is going to be a constitutional amendment. We'll finally get some property tax relief. But then many people saw it as a uh, tax increase in disguise. And that referendum was defeated like by an 80 to 20 percent uh, ratio. So let's look at this latest piece of legislation before we take phone calls and emails. Uh, this latest piece of proposed legislation would eliminate property taxes altogether. How would it work? Right. So you would um, school districts would continue getting the same amount of money that they're currently raising locally. And that would be in in this very first year that it would start. And how would it how would that money be replaced? Well, uh, the the personal income tax would be risen and also the state sales tax would be risen from six to seven percent throughout most of the state. It would go from eight to nine percent here in Philadelphia. And then you'd have um, a laundry list of new items that currently are exempt from sales tax would begin uh, would you know begin to be taxed, and that's one of the reasons why the bill is very unpopular among a certain segment of special interests who attack it because those are interests who don't want to see these new items taxed. That's at least one part of the opposition to this bill. So let's talk about. So, uh, go ahead. Oh, so then you know all that money comes to Harrisburg. It gets put in a special fund, and then that fund is redistributed back to the school districts again at the exact same rates that those local districts are already raising. So so if you're a school equity advocate, that's where you start to think, well, wait a minute. Now we're raising all this money in, in state government centrally, and we're redistributing it back out to the you know wealthy districts could, would continue to get you know, large sums of money. So for instance, you know, Lower Marion here, very wealthy district outside of Philadelphia, state government would essentially be giving it, you know, $20,000 per student while continuing to give, you know, some small, poorer rural district in Western PA uh, far less dollars. At the same time, when you look at, you know, who wins and loses in this tax shift, you're definitely seeing homeowners, especially homeowners who have large property tax bills, uh, as big winners, and you're seeing working renters as the biggest losers in, in the in the sum. And you just hit on what may be uh, the the biggest, I don't know, the biggest challenge, as you uh, if you will, on funding in Pennsylvania. Individual homeowners who are paying, who think they're paying too much in property taxes, say you have to do something about property taxes. Uh, you know, I'm I'm retired. I'm on a fixed income. I'm going to have to sell my home. But if you look overall. Probably the biggest issue that the state does face when it comes to funding education is just what you mentioned, that equity. And uh, there are many, many people, so we have to do something about that before we can even you know, do anything with uh, property taxes. And as you said, this bill does nothing about uh, the inequity in Pennsylvania education funding. That's right. So 
in other um, in other jurisdictions that have tried this, and I wrote extensively, and I think we talked earlier in the year about uh, my reporting in Ontario, so Ontario, Canada. They did away with their property tax, um, but they did it in a way that made their school funding more equitable. They essentially said, we're going to collect all the money in the central government, but we're going to redistribute it based on student need. So that's not what's happening here. The proponents of this are really pushing this as a homeowner relief bill. It's, it's not really getting into that school equity question. Now, they'll tell you that, you know, that's the next step. That's the thing that they want to see happen next. But because it's not in black and white in this bill, you don't have the school advocates standing up and supporting it. But at the same time, if you put that in there, then you'd have a lot of people probably lining up against it because then you're massively redistributing wealth in a way that I think a lot of taxpayers don't really have the appetite for. And I go back to 1987 with the Casey proposal. One of the complaints at that time was by putting it on a ballot that uh, it was too confusing. It was too complicated. And to go back to what you just said, if you complicate this bill, and it's in any bill, really, then it has less uh, chance of, of, of getting approved as well. Let's take a uh, phone call from Dave in Lewisburg. Dave, you're on the air. Hi, I have three general comments or questions. The first is I grew up in California during the time of Proposition getting passed, which didn't eliminate property taxes, but it limited how much it can increase severely. When I was growing up, um, California schools were number one in the country. After Proposition 13, they went to 49th in the country and unarguably was the result of Proposition 13 and the defunding of the school system. And I'm wondering why we don't learn from history in not eliminating property taxes. The second question I have is, why is it property taxes are about as local a tax as you can get? And why is it that the party of local control, whenever there's something they don't like, all of a sudden has an epiphany and wants to see things at a state level rather than at a local level? And my third question is, Republicans have been talking about eliminating public schools and switching to vouchers and private schools for decades, and we have now a Secretary of Education who is openly pushing for this. Why would we put all of our money for education into the control of people who advocate the elimination of that? I don't know if I. I don't know if that's accurate. I don't think they've uh, advocated. Or, you know, Secretary DeVos has advocated for eliminating public schools. If charter schools and uh, you know private schools vouchers were approved, there are some predicting that. But all right, thank you very much for your call, Kevin. He brings up uh, several points. Let's start with uh, the, uh, the the California model with Prop 13, and that's been around for some time now. I don't know how familiar you are with that, but. Again, it was a referendum. As we all know, California has referendums on the ballot all the time. Uh, But what he talked about was basically eliminating funding for public schools. Several states have done this. Uh, very much with the California proposal, but but I you know do know that when this is put to voters, uh, it has had mixed results over time. Uh, North Dakota voters, you referenced Pennsylvania, also rec- uh, recently in 2012 rejected a property tax elimination proposal. When you move to a a system that's more reliant on sales and income taxes. You also are moving to a system that is more vulnerable to swings in the economy, right? So one of the things we saw was Indiana put way more emphasis on sales and income taxes right before the Great Recession. And then when the recession hit and their revenues tanked, uh, their schools were were very much squeezed. Um, So we know those things are in the proposal. Now proponents of this bill would say, well, sure, that's exactly the point. If the economy's tanking and... um, you know, ever, people are struggling, then you shouldn't be continuing to extract property taxes from them at a, at a rate that they can't pay. And that's why, you know, it'll force school districts to live within their means, they would argue. Uh, you know, I would also point to his point about um, local control versus, you know, putting more power into the hands of state government. <clears throat> there are several um, skeptical Republicans. I mean, he was, he was kind of talking as, uh, of the Republican Party as if they were in lockstep on this issue, and they're absolutely not. Um, very divided in both uh, the House and the Senate on this issue. But there are several fiscal conservatives who would say, no, we don't want to have all this money uh, accumulated into Harrisburg because 
you know, state lawmakers will raid those funds and use them for other purposes when the next catastrophe hits. So there are other, you know, people who push instead this idea that, hey, we can give localities who were really squeezed by property taxes the option, if they want to, to eliminate their property taxes, say, in X school district or X county, and replace it with their own new local tax, you know, say a local income tax. So they, they would say that solves the problem regionally while retaining that local control. So I guess I would just say that uh, there is a you know, it's pretty stark debate even among uh, Republican conservatives on this issue. Yeah, this is this is kind of one of the best examples of a bipartisan issue. I mean, you can find Democrats and Republicans who agree that uh, they want some kind of property tax relief. Uh, how it gets done is is where there is a difference of opinion, and it, it doesn't come down along party lines all the time. But l- let me get back to his other point, though, uh, about charter schools. And, you know, we know that on the federal level, we do have a secretary of education now that has, has advocated for school vouchers. Um, where does that fit into the whole property tax issue? I mean, I know that's a very broad question. Um, it... it... So charter schools are public schools, and they're funded by the revenue that passes through the school district that they're located in. So in this instance, um, you know, the money would flow to Harrisburg, flow back to the school district, and then from the school district to the charter school. So there's not really an implication on that there. I mean, I guess in theory you could say, okay, now that the money has all come to Harrisburg, are they going to pass another bill that would do something different? I mean, it's very hypothetical, but... That issue really is is not affected in this proposal. And charter schools and how charter schools are funded is an entirely different issue that uh, Harrisburg has been wrestling with for the last couple of years anyway. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Smart Talk is supported by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health. Its 11 principal investigators and nine nurse coordinators conduct research efforts to advance cardiovascular medicine. Information at pinnaclehealth.org slash myheart. We're focusing on property taxes on today's Smart Talk. Kevin McCrory, who is uh, McCrory, I should say, who is a Keystone uh, Crossroads reporter stationed at WHYY in Philadelphia, does a lot of work on education, is our guest during this portion of the program. Uh, Kevin, uh, last week reported, uh, provided a, a, a great example of uh, why there are so many challenges. And I think just listening in the first 20 minutes of the program, you can see why there are so many challenges with trying to eliminate or at least come up with property tax reform. Keystone Crossroads is a statewide initiative reporting on challenges facing Pennsylvania cities. WITF is part of a collaboration with three other public media organizations. To learn more, visit WITF.org and click on Keystone Crossroads. It's supported regionally by the law firm of McNeese, Wallace, and Newark. If you'd like to weigh in, what are, what are your thoughts on property taxes, how they could be replaced? Maybe you're satisfied with what you have. Maybe just, uh, you know, complain about it a little bit. I don't know. What's your, your, I want to hear your thoughts on property taxes. Give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at org. You also can leave a question or comment on WITF's Facebook page. On Twitter, we are at smarttalkwitf. Again, that phone number, 1-800-729-7532. All right, Kevin, you You've brought up a, a number of issues, but let's talk about this specific bill. Do we know how much uh, the income tax would have to be uh, increased uh, to make up? Now, you know, we're talking about a combination of sales taxes and income taxes, but does the bill have a proposal for how much to increase the income tax? Right. So the state income tax currently is 3.07%, and it would move to 4.95%. And like I said, the sales tax would move from 6 to 7%, and in Philadelphia from 8 to 9%. Okay. Uh, one of the more controversial, I mean, those two things will be controversial in, the, in, in themselves, but you also talked about how this bill would uh, expand what is subject to sales taxes. Uh, what are some of the items that are, are now exempt that uh, may be subje- subject to uh, sales tax. So there's a lot of professional services on this list, funeral expenses, legal services. You also have clothing over $50. It would be 
subject to the tax and uh, groceries probably would be something that a lot of people would be, um, you know, obviously affected by unless they're, um, you know, using food stamps, groceries would be eligible for sales tax. So those are three pretty big things right there that I think people would feel. Now, proponents of the bill say, you know, the amount that you would end up spending extra on that would be worth it to many people if there wasn't such a large property tax bill. And that's where you kind of get this breakdown between who's a winner, who's a loser in this kind of tax shift proposal. And I alluded to earlier, all homeowners, according to the independent fiscal office, would be uh, would be winners, would see a windfall gain. Uh, it's estimated that home values would immediately rise. And then, of course, you wouldn't have that property tax bill. But then for renters, uh, you know, it's, it's much more difficult. Uh, they predict that most of them would be losers and it would really be at the whim of landlords deciding to pass on, uh, you know, the benefit that they're seeing in, in the in the elimination of the property tax. So there's winners and losers in this proposal. It's a massive tax shift, uh, and it's <clears throat> something that, you know, people are actively debating. Let's go to the phone now. Mark is in Pittsburgh. Mark, you're on the air. How you doing? We're doing well. Hey, I got a question on uh, Kevin's, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin, correct? Yes. Um, on the local control issue that uh, seems to be always a hot topic when, uh, you know, the people oppose the Senate Bill 76. Um, so I just wanted to get your... Uh, a review of local control again and try to rebuttal that, uh, you know, statement that uh, that takes away the local controls from the school boards. Well, yeah, Kevin, uh, it, I think what he's looking for is just to, for you to kind of uh, be specific with how the state would fund this and there would not be as much revenue coming in from uh, local taxpayers. Right. So, I mean, I guess you can argue that School boards in Pennsylvania are made of of nine people who are elected by localities, and those nine people then decide, uh, you know, how much money should be raised in that district, what that district should spend its money on. So in this system, uh, those nine people would not be able to decide how much money to raise. They could still decide how the money is spent. And, you know, if you're a proponent for the current system, you would say that those nine people are most intimately knowledgeable about... Uh, what's going on in that community, and they should have the decision power to decide how much money to raise. And if the local community doesn't enjoy the tax increases or or however they decide to allocate money, then they can be voted out, and that's democracy. So that would be the you know the argument for the current system. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously the uh, to get them to sway either way, which I had attended one of the meetings recently. And uh, found some, you know, discrepancies in the original $88 million new schools that they built, and now it's $92.1 million. So now as a taxpayer, I have to come up in the preliminary budget uh, to come up with more money, and they blamed it on the pension, which some of that is the pension. But they knew that pension was a problem for many years, so it's not like they didn't expect that pension to go up this, this year but they obviously overspent on the new school district by $4 million. So now I'm a taxpayer with no children. I have to come up with another $800 for taxes. Well, Mark, and then, to me, that's that's the local control that, that bothers me because I have no say-so on what these school boards do. Well, Mark, let me ask you this. If sure. this bill was to become law, how would it mm-hmm. be different, in your opinion, if the state was controlling the funding? Well, it's dollar for dollar, as you well know, but it seems like... All the senators that I speak to, Guy Reschenthaler and the one who represents my district and some of the other ones, they seem to be worried about where Harrisburg is going to do with that money. Well, it's in a separate stabilization fund that's dollar for dollar. So you work for the state of Harrisburg and its government, and then you don't believe what they're going to do with that money is going to be directed back to the schools that, they sh- that the bill is designed to do. So it seems like you know, you're you're getting paid by the state, but then you don't believe what the state's going to do with that money. Mm-hmm. And that's, so there's, there's a couple that's things the problem I, think, I have, I but I want to have control of what what I do with my money, not have a bill come in and say, I've got to pay this with no children. It just doesn't seem fair. Mm-hmm. Thanks for your call, Mark. Go ahead, uh, Kevin. What were you going to say? Hey, you know, when we talk about property taxes, uh, you know, or when we talk about public schools in general, we're talking about taxes we all pay to support this institution, whether or not we have kids in it or not. So that's, I mean, that's an interesting debate. I mean, within this conversation, even if we shifted, uh, should we, should people without children be paying sales tax or income tax increases 
towards schools if they don't have any kids in them. I mean, I guess that's a philosophical debate that we can put to the side for a second. So that that's one part of it. The other part I would say is, um, you know, he, he referenced this idea of not having control over what the school board would do. So he does get to vote in the school board election and that would get to decide that. But but let's put that to the side as well for a second. Pensions we need to talk about too, but let's Absolutely. put that to the side for a second. <laughs> and let's just get to this point. He met, he referenced a eighty-eight million dollar new school. So let's just let's just say, for instance, this school district feels like it needs a new school. Okay. In the in, under the new proposal, if it became law, what would happen? Um, they would essentially have to go to Harrisburg and beg for money to say we want to build this school or they would go directly to voters there's a carve out in here to say we want to raise a you know your personal income or we want to get some sort of exemption to you know directly raise money for this school so that would be the options under this plan um you know i i, I guess that's a philosophical difference at some point a voter is deciding who's making a decision or is getting a decision on on this idea of of more money being raised i guess proponents would say that You know, there's a more direct correlation to putting on the ballot something that says we're going to raise your taxes X as opposed to here are people you're going to vote for for the local school board. You know, there's also some irony in this, too, Kevin, in that uh, one of the biggest complaints from local school districts is unfunded mandates from the state. And I wonder how that changes if the state is providing uh, a bigger percentage of the funding for schools. So that that gets to the pension issue. Absolutely. Right. And, And. Districts will say that that is the biggest cost driver recently that they've seen and that they feel like that is an unfunded mandate from Harrisburg. Proponents of the bill say, yeah, if you take away, uh, you know, the school property tax and replace it with this state revenue and put more of the, the target, essentially more of the heat, more of the light onto Harrisburg, now that all the money's going there, it's going to force lawmakers to deal with these mandates. Um, and, you know, there's a, a debate there. Um, people think, well, maybe that's just kind of wishful thinking, and it's it's putting too much into into the uh, into this idea that Harrisburg suddenly is going to take care of all these things that it's been talking about doing for two decades. Um, but proponents say that's at least a way to move the conversation forward. Now, we should mention last week the House and the Senate passed a pension reform bill that the governor is expected to sign this afternoon, and you would think that that would maybe do something in the short term. Uh, for these fast-rising pension obligations, which have translated into fast-rising property tax uh, rate <clears throat> uh, hikes, uh, but but no, that's not the case. Because when you get down to the to the details of this pension plan, it's really all about future employees, and it's about uh, you know cutting the debt in the in the very far term. So that's what's been frustrating, I think, to a lot of people <clears throat> on all sides of all these issues is that. Even as Governor Wolf uh, advocates and the legislature passes big increases in education funding, a lot of that money goes to end up paying pension costs. And then even when you pass a pension bill, you're still not really tackling that issue because it's such a long-term problem, which all brings you back to, well, where, how do we get into this to begin with? And it stems from you know decisions that state government made in the, in the 2000s combined with some stock market downturns. That's where we are. That's why... Uh, property taxes have been rising, and there's nothing you can do about that in the current system unless you want to basically stop paying retirees right now, which no one has the appetite to do that either. Um, yeah, just so you to- have the, this kind of confluence of issues that is very frustrating for everybody because schools want more money, you know, employees want uh, security, and taxpayers want uh, stability, and they want uh, relief as well. Yeah, and just to put that in perspective, uh, we were talking about the pension bill that uh, Governor Wolf is supposed to, uh, or is, uh, you know, supposedly going to uh, sign, is that uh, the debt for uh, pensions, now this is not just schools, not just educators, but uh, also retired uh, state employees, is between 60 and $70 billion. Providing a little more perspective on that, the state's entire budget is $30 billion. So, you know, twice what the state's uh, budget is, is what we have a debt when it comes to uh, when it comes to uh, pensions. Let's take a, 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 another phone call here from Tom in Carlisle. Tom, you're on the air. Yeah, my, my big deal with this is 70 percent of Pennsylvanians are paying 100 percent of the school bill. Why not share this with everybody through the sales tax and whatever else you have there? And 
the, the people that comes into Pennsylvania for tourism and stuff like that's going to help pay for our schools along with the bill be shared by everybody instead of 70% of us. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you very much for your call. And Kevin, that is one of the biggest arguments for eliminating property taxes. Absolutely. And, you know, we uh, alluded to this earlier. If the idea is we're all going to come together to fund our schools in a way that is more equitable, is more fair, spreads that, that cost out in a way that people can afford, um, you know, that is a interesting argument that I alluded to. Uh, you know, Ontario has done that. <clears throat> Again, it, within this proposal, though, to say that we're going to spread the cost out across the entire state but continue funding very wealthy districts at the same rate that they are is is a little bit of a head scratcher because to his point <clears throat> you know I'm, again lower marion or radnor these wealthy districts in the philly suburbs they're spending you know almost all of their money is coming is is generated locally so why would the rest of the state pony up more money to continue funding their schools at a very high per pupil spend while the rest of the, the state isn't, right? So just to put some solid numbers on that, Lower Marion spending $26,000 a year per student. Uh, you know, Altoona, I'm, I'm generalizing here a little bit, is spending something more on the order of $12,000 $12, a year. So, so there's this huge gap, but if you, you know, what, if you take this tax shift, that gap stays in place, but, um, you know, it's, the cost is spread out across the entire state. So that's that's what I think that um, some people would raise the question of. And again, the advocates for this bill say, yes, we don't like that inequity. And that's the thing we'll deal with next. Um, It's just a matter of whether that actually would happen. We have an email from a listener, and this is something you hear often. uh, And going to the heart of the matter, she's questioning the priorities, the spending priorities of uh, school districts. Uh, Specifically, she's talking about um, the emphasis on athletics, that if you cut some of these athletic budgets that, uh, you know, school districts would not need the kind of property taxes that they do. Now, I don't know how accurate that is, but uh, I, I can see, you, you know, when you go to some of these school districts where sports is so important and say, okay, we're going to cut your football team or we're going to cut your band, uh, we're going to cut this, that that would not be a very popular move either. It, it wouldn't, but I, I think that uh, maybe in some in some quarters it would to, the, to this uh, this writer's point. So that's what proponents would say as well. So <clears throat> if districts have to live within their means, essentially, they know that they can't just keep going back to taxpayers every year and expecting uh, to generate more money, then they're going to have to start looking internally. And maybe the, some of the first things they cut are sports and arts or music. Uh, and maybe, you know, they trim down from offering three or four foreign languages to one or two. Uh, you know, that's all kind of this wrestling match between what a school can offer and what its taxpayers can bear to pay. And those things are always kind of a push and pull, a tug of war that exists in the current system with these locally elected school boards. Uh, it would be kind of pushed to the max probably within within this system where you would have then, you know, parents kind of fired up and turning to the state to say, well, you know, why does why is my local school district cutting X, Y and Z? You guys have all the, the power and the money. Uh, so so do something about it. But again, this bill does put a carve out in to say if a district wants to raise more money, they can go to their local taxpayers and say, will you bear another tax increase over here to pay for this thing in, in your school? Um, so there is that end around there as well. Let's go to Andrew in York. Andrew, you're on the air. Fantastic. Um, I'm just calling in uh, from the York County Policy Council here. We're working on a policy brief on this precise issue. And uh, I wanted to comment on two things. That The gentleman that called saying that uh, he wouldn't want his uh, money to be used uh, for, 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 you know, uh, funding schools as if he has no children. That's kind of the ideological debate, as, as, as you rightly so mentioned, folks, uh, that we kind of run into. You know, we're, when, when you look at this issue and you try to find some objective kind of uh, perhaps economic or social arguments for or against this and try to deal with this challenge, that's, that's the main kind of problem that you run into. This, this ideological argument of, you know, let's have property taxes or let's not have property taxes because that's my wallet, don't touch it. And um, so there's kind of needs to be a recognition of a common good or, or you know, lack thereof. And the second thing is, as I wanted to comment on, on sales taxes, 
when we were looking at the bill, what we saw is uh, that there may be a possibility of, of communities that, that borders, say, Delaware, uh, where there is no sales tax, or Maryland, where the sales tax is at 6%. Uh, if, if the sales tax is raised to seven percent in the, in, the, in the Commonwealth here, that that it would it might you know hit retail businesses all across the border there. Hey Andrew, thank you very much for your call, Kevin. Points. I think Philadelphia would grapple with this, especially too, because then its sales tax is already at eight percent. It would go to nine percent. Delaware has <clears throat> zero sales tax, and the New Jersey is just across the river as well. So Philadelphia is always kind of a special case in these conversations because, again, it has way more renters and, you know, it has many homeowners. But if you have a lot of renters and you're a border, uh, you know, a border state to other other states with lower sales taxes, it starts to feel like Philadelphia is squeezed especially. And that becomes a problem for the bill as a whole, even though it's just, you know, one county in the state. And something else about sales taxes, um, you know, just touched on how businesses may be impacted. But sales tax is always looked at. uh, You've had many people who oppose raising the sales tax as saying that it's a regressive tax, that it hits poor people harder, uh, especially when you're talking about expanding the sales tax to essentials like food and clothing. Right. That that's that's true, um, and it you know as a percentage of 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 their income, sure. If you're paying more sales tax, it's it's hitting those folks harder. <clears throat> I think proponents of the bill would say that without the property tax as a you know albatross around the neck of a prospective home buyer, maybe they're able to you know afford to become a homeowner as as opposed to a renter. Um, and and that's I guess a debate that that will that would be borne out if this actually came to fruition because again, IFO predicts that home values would would rise as well. So home values would rise, but then there wouldn't be the property tax. So if you're a renter trying to na- take that step to become a homeowner, um, you know it's it's unclear at this point how much easier or harder that would be. But yeah, certainly if you're uh, a person of, of modest means and you are spending more of your income. Through the sales tax, that is a regressive tax. Let's go to Jason in Lancaster County. Jason, you're on the air. Hi, good morning, Scott. Good morning. Um, a couple of years ago, I, I purchased my, my first home, and my tax assessment came in at just under 124000 And this year, I was reassessed at well over 172000 I don't know where they come up with these numbers. I mean, I never even had anybody come out and look at my house to, to let me know how accurate that number is. On top of that, not only do I pay thousands of dollars a year in school taxes, but then the, the, the local school board has the audacity to nickel and dime both my wife and I for $20 a year. Now, that may, may seem kind of petty, but, but why why are we – taking on the financial burden of the school district. Meanwhile, renters are are not really paying much of anything. And the other thing I'd like to know is, why is the state legislator not trying to to generate more tax revenue from all these folks pulling gas out of Pennsylvania and putting it on the market? They've got all these power companies coming online converting to natural gas, I mean, they're not going to pull out of Pennsylvania just because they, they, uh, they have to pay more in taxes. That's their bread and butter, too. They're, they're not going to just let that go. Why aren't they doing more to try and push revenue from these gas companies and, and help fund school districts? Hey, thank you very much for your call. Kevin, he hit on a number of issues. And, you know, one of the things that's so fascinating about this, I don't know whether fascinating is uh, the right word or not, but uh, is that uh, for every action, there's a reaction. But he brought up the point of, you know, something that Governor Wolf has wanted to do now since being elected. And I don't know whether that money necessarily goes to education. But still, if you raise money from uh, taxing uh, natural gas. But he, he had a couple points there. He did. Um, yeah, Governor Wolf had been a major proponent for some sort of shale tax severance uh, tax. It, it it simply just kind of support fell, fell away from it, and you rarely hear anybody talking about that 
anymore. I, I can't speak to uh, why that is or if it could come back. Um, you know, I think that he he hit on a point there about the uh, the ass- reassessment of his home and just feeling like, you know, completely divorced from this idea of how how was this decision made and now all of a sudden I have to pay so much more money in it on on, on something that I wasn't planning for that. I think that's a obviously a very real concern. The guest uh, that we're going to have in a few minutes, Ron Boltz, um, who runs this PA Liberty Alliance, who was featured in my story. I mean, that was that was his situation. He uh, had a reassessment that all of a sudden his bill went up and it felt like a hardship for him to to meet that obligation. Uh, one thing I think that was very laudable that he did, he, he got he got involved. He studied up on the bill. He became a very active citizen. He became a school board member. He fought against local school property tax increases. Um, so I think these are all things that, you know, that people can and should do if they uh, feel very passionate about this issue. And I think that, you know, uh, that that is one of the benefits, you could say, of the current system is that to become a member of the school board or to vote in a school board election and really have your voice heard is, is a pretty direct power. Now, Ron, as, as a person who, who did that, would say that that didn't go far enough, and now he's an advocate for, for this elimination. Um, but I think it does get back to this idea that taxpayers do have a lot of power as voters if you know they mobilize and take take uh, those elections seriously. Unfortunately, I guess a lot of them don't. Um, and people who argue against this bill, you know, point to rightly, hey, look, here's a school board who just raised taxes X years in a row, and all those people were just reelected. So I, I guess that says that people supported those tax increases. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. We're focusing on property taxes here on Smart Talk this morning. Uh, Kevin McCory of uh, WHYY in Philadelphia, Keystone Crossroads reporter who is stationed at WHYY Philadelphia, has been our guest. Uh, Kevin reports on uh, education issues across Pennsylvania. Now we're joined by Ron Boltz, and uh, Ron is with the group Pennsylvania Liberty Alliance. They've been leading the charge against property taxes for much of the past decade. And uh, Ron Boltz, welcome to the program. Good morning, Scott. Thank you for having me. Now, you are a Schuylkill County resident, and uh, Kevin told a little bit about uh, your story uh, in his report last week. He he told the whole story, but I'll have you tell it. Uh, so you bought a house in Schuylkill County, and then what happened? Basically, the schools in Schuylkill County and other areas, um, a very limited number of school districts up in that part of the state, they do, we call them spot assessments, they call them reverse appeals. So basically, in a nutshell, what happens is you purchase a home, they appeal your assessment, they say, hey, you paid X for your house, but it's only... Uh, um, assessed at Y, therefore you need to be paying more in taxes. You're not paying your quote-unquote fair share. Now, of course, the problem is other equal value homes in the area are still back on what's called the base year assessed value, which is the way the property tax system is supposed to work in Pennsylvania. But they found a way to interrupt the uniformity of the, the current system. And they, in a nutshell, my tax is almost tripled overnight. So for a middle-class family, obviously, I don't have to explain the type of hardship that that brings. Okay, when you say tripled, give me an idea of what kind of ballpark figure we're talking about. About two to six, 2,000 to 6,000 overnight. So on a monthly basis? About $250, $260 a month. That's increase. a lot of money. Yes. And I'm not anywhere even remotely close to the worst-case scenario. I have friends that had increase of 12000 on top of what they were already they were already paying. So that motivated you to get involved in this? Absolutely. So you support eliminating property taxes? I sure do. Obviously, you have a reason why, (laughs) but uh, you've heard some of the reasons why it is such a challenge. It is a challenge, but um, basically, at the end of the day, the property tax is the most unfair, the most regressive, the most arbitrarily, you know, administered tax that we have. So the state picks winners and losers. I hear a lot of talk about winners and losers, but really the current system has more winners and losers in it than 76 ever would. So the 76 is Senate Bill 76, 76, correct. So by winners and losers in the state, what I mean is some school districts might get um, 80% of their funding from the state. So they only have a reliance on property taxes to make up that, that small 20%. The converse is also true. We have districts that only get maybe... 10% from the state. So they rely very heavily on the property tax. So this is why you have such 
um, variance in, in property tax burdens, even amongst equal value homes, depending on where you're located in the state. And now, of course, as in my situation, even within the same school district, homeowners are paying extremely different rates on equal value homes. So we, we don't like that system. We don't think it's fair. Um, and of course, it's not in any way based on your ability to pay. You lose a job, your income goes down, you still have your, your school property tax there. And of course, the regressivity of it, if we would take everybody's income or their property tax bill and reflect it as a percentage of their income, you're going to see everybody pays in a different rate. Why is that? Why, why do we not have the same burden to fund public education? If, if it benefits us all, why not contribute the same amount? So we're saying in 76, let's stop this madness and let's treat every single individual taxpayer exactly the same. We all pay exactly the same PIT rate increase in under 76. We all pay the exact same sales tax rate and we all pay the sales tax on the exact same items and services. So there are no more, there are no winners and losers in 76. We talk about this creating winners and losers, but really what we're doing is we're correcting the current system, which is where the winners and losers are created. As you well know, there are people who would disagree with you. Sure. Uh, and the people who represent school districts, schools, probably would be a group of people because, as you heard Kevin saying, and as you're well aware, what school districts will say is, you know, this is a reliable tax. We cannot count on, like everyone points to 2008 with the economic downturn, that uh, when people were losing their jobs, they didn't have the kind of incomes that they had before, that school districts need that reliable revenue coming in. Well, it's stable for who? The taxpayer? Well, certainly it's not. Well, the, okay, well, that's, you're coming at it from a taxpayer point of view, right? And as well you should. I understand that completely. And I'm not arguing with you. I'm just bringing up the point that right. this is what we hear from schools. Well, let's talk about 76. So, so we're shifting to a sales tax and a personal income tax. Even during the recessions, both of those sources have stayed above the rate of, in, of um, inflation. So we say that those two sources are, in fact, stable. And in fact, I would say the property tax is the least stable for for numerous reasons. Number one, GlaxoSmithKline and Upper Marion some years ago, they appealed their assessed value, got a $2 million decrease to, to their, um, their, their tax bill. The homeowners and everybody else had to make that up. The school didn't cut their, their budget by $2 million. So it's really not a stable source. And Let's think about the income tax, for example. The income tax naturally over time brings in more revenue without the need for a tax increase. The last time the, the income tax was increased in Pennsylvania was 2004, but yet the state generated more and more income with that source of revenue. The sales tax has been 6% since 1968, but yet over time, as prices rise as inflation comes in, as people earn more money and spend more, both of those sources bring in more um, revenue without the need for tax increases. Now, let's compare that to the property tax. Over that same time period, we have literally thousands and thousands and thousands of tax increases to prop up the most unstable tax that we have, which is the property tax. You're talking about 500 school districts over that 20-year period that the IFO looked at, um, raising taxes at you know whatever the percentage was each year. You literally have thousands of tax increases that homeowners have, have had to shoulder. So, the stability argument from from our point of view is nonsense. We're looking at more stable tax sources, not less. Uh, Kevin, I want to bring you back into the conversation here, and I can understand why uh, you talked with Ron for your report. He's very passionate about this, and he makes some good arguments. Absolutely. Uh, I would just say, you know, a point of uh, context. So when, when Ron talks about the idea that, you know, some districts are spending, uh, you know, ra <clears throat> raising 80% of the funds locally and others are relying on the state for 80% of the funds. That's done essentially because it's what the locality can afford. So in states where, or in districts where um, there's a high, sp high rate of collection locally, those are wealthy, wealthy districts. So again, Lower Marion, Radnor, uh, they're raising their funds 70, 80, 90% locally. It's <clears throat> districts like Reading, districts like uh, Panther Valley, you know, poorer districts throughout the state that are reliant on the state for like 80, 90% or 70% of their, of their funding. So, so um, you know, to talk about that in a fairness context, the, the, the current system essentially says, how much can you raise locally and then what can the state do to help make up that gap to 
allow the playing field to be more even from a student uh, perspective. And then you can go within that conversation and talk about how, uh, you know, th- those state dollars actually really aren't distributed in a fair way themselves. Well, let me bring Ron back into that, address that, that inequity issue. How do you see 76? I mean, it's really not dealing with it. It's not dealing with it because it tried to deal with it in past. And as you talked about earlier, that brings in even more political discussion and arguing and so forth. The goal of this bill is simply this. We're trying to find a much more fair and reasonable and uh, way to fund our schools that's based on your ability to pay. But this, this all ra- it's almost a circular argument because we talk about the equity and the inequity and so forth. The property tax is the reason we have these inequities because, as, as Kevin just mentioned, some districts can raise money locally, others cannot. So now you have the state on the basic education side. And remember, these two sources are different, your local revenue and your state revenue, and they stay separate even under 76. Those two um, revenues stay separated. But the state attempts to, quote-unquote, equalize this through the basic education formula. Obviously, it's not working. And if you don't eliminate the property tax because of the inequity in the first place, you're never going to fix this problem. So that's, while 76 does not fix that problem, it was never designed to fix that problem. But it does lay the foundation to go forward. And now maybe we can actually get a little bit of consensus from our legislators in Harrisburg on how to make this a lot more equitable with a new funding formula. Rob, we only have about 30 seconds left. I want to get Kevin in here, too. So what do you want to see happen here? I want to see 76 passed. I want to see homeowners uh, be treated more equally. I want to see every individual taxpayer all across the state pay the exact same rate. And that will lay the foundation for for this um, equity problem that we have. Because if we keep this current system in place, you will never fix that equity problem. It's that simple. Kevin Corey, uh, we only have about uh, 10 seconds left. Kevin, I want to thank you very much for being with us today. So what happens with this? Well, it came one vote uh, away from passing in December or November 2015. The proponents think they've got the votes lined up in the Senate to do this. Once it gets to the House, though, it's going to be another battle. You have the two top Republicans in the House disagreeing on this. Kevin McCory, WHYY in Philadelphia, Keystone Crossroads, thank you very much. Ron Boltz of Pennsylvania Liberty Alliance, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Scott. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Smart Talk is produced by WITF as part of our mission to deliver relevant, high-quality programming. Support for this program comes from Capital Blue Cross, which shares WITF's commitment to being a valuable and trusted resource for the community we serve. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health, who is studying a new surgical technique that allows surgeons to make repairs to the heart without having to open the chest cavity and while the heart is beating. Info at pinnaclehealth.org.